0: to see what the 76ers do in the future. Absolutely.
1: and Some people, I actually was able to get on one of my favorite shows last night The to give a shout out to JR Sports Brief uh, on CBS Sports Radio. and he, We had a brief conversation about he kind of tied that into thinking, well, Simmons and Embiid finally work with the new leadership. And I kind of agree with kind of through part of Kwame's uh, take in there, Kwame Fisher-Jones about you know, Doc Rivers being able to discipline Joel Embiid and getting him to step up and do the things that leaders do amongst teams, to be in shape, show up on time, uh, you know, take his craft seriously. And a lot of a lot of the other viewers and listeners of that show also thought the same thing. But, Bob, without further ado, I'll let you go ahead and introduce uh, our special guest. You've already shared with us. So you can just introduce him.
0: Yes, uh, we got somebody who's a very accomplished journalist, like I said before has written with me with Bleacher Report, the basketball writers, also a great fan-sided writer and home court AI writer. We got the great, the one and only, Brandon Jefferson. Brandon, how are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing good, Bob. Thank you for
2: the introduction. I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk sports at any time. So,
1: just thankful for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you for giving us your time, Brandon. It's a pleasure to have you on uh, Benjamin Brown Hoops Up and Down podcast. You're live on Anchor.fm.
0: Awesome. Brandon, can you just uh, tell tell our listeners at BNB Nation just a little bit about your background? Like what what made you love the game of basketball? Um, what made you want to become a journalist? And uh, just maybe the different uh, zigzags your career has taken so far. Are you OK? Yeah, Brandon, could you hear us?
1: You I hear think me? we that we have a yes, we can.
0: Do, do you need me to repeat the question, Brandon? I think we lost him temporarily. Um, we'll try to get him back on, folks. Uh, Theus, can you yeah. can you tell us a little bit about what you thought when I try to get him back on? Uh, can you can you talk a little bit about um, just? Oh, I think we got him back on. Brandon, can you hear us now? Yeah, sorry about that. I have no idea what just happened. No. Oh no, you're totally good. Um, what what I was about to say, can you please uh talk Brandon about your love of the game, how you got interested in it, and how you got into journalism, like your just your various experiences. Of course.
2: So uh, basketball,
0: definitely a first love.
2: I have an older brother who's two years older than me. So basically, ever since he got me to climb out the crib, we've been, you know, playing basketball, messing around, doing different By him. Um, that was a great opportunity. And it just deepened my love for the game. Uh, basically, by the time high school was finishing up, I realized I was not, you know, 6'3 to 6'5 and probably wasn't going to be making a future in the game of basketball. So I decided to try to figure out what you know I would want to do instead. And it was around that time in high school where one of my teachers kind of alerted me to you know, I had a little bit of a skill as a writer, so I looked more into that, and I was like, well, I love sports, I love basketball, and there's journalism, and I decided, you know, try to combine the two together as a sports journalist, and I just took it from there.
0: Um, Brandon, uh, what were uh, some of your experiences in college? Like, did you write for websites? Did you... Um, where where did you freelance at? Um, like like how did how did you start writing um, consistently?
2: Brandon, can you hear us? Yeah, you keep going in and out
0: for me. So I'm going to see if I did can you... open it on the actual Anchor app. Yeah, I think if you opened it on the app, it would be a little better. Yeah, we, we yeah, we can hear I could hear him clearly, Bob.
1: Um Yeah, but the, the answer to what was your question for me earlier, Bob?
0: Um, I was just about to ask him how how he gained more journalism experience in uh college and early in his career. But <laughs> but I guess, you know, while he's trying to maybe open it on the app, um, can you tell us some of your thoughts, Theus, about um Silas, you know, he's a young coach, it seems like, who, um, you know, again, we're trying to encourage uh, the NBA to get some of these new minds. And what do you think about uh, the Rockets going for a younger guy who seems to put some dues in already?
1: Yeah, and it, it seems like his background, Bob, kind of fits, you know, more of both things. The the eye test, of course, he has the experience uh, being on his father's staff. At one time, he was the youngest head uh, assistant coach in the NBA back in 2000. He was only 27 years old. Uh, when his father, Paul Sy was coached at the Charlotte Hornets. And to kind of follow the current trend of more um, up with the times in coaching, he's been within player development. Uh, for Phenomenally, he may be the only guy that, uh, Bob and our listeners at Benjamin Brown, he worked with LeBron James as his dad took over that coaching job. Um, LeBron's rookie year, he was on staff the first two years there. And uh, when his dad moved to the Charlotte Hornets, Stephen actually ventured off on his own. It was with the Golden State Warriors organization. At the same time, a young Steph Curry was coming into the league. So he's had been a, a, you know, a head scout, a assistant coach in player development for arguably the two best players in the game and Steph Curry and LeBron James when they first came into the league.
0: It just seems like if, if you, uh, you know, work with players of that caliber, I mean, it, it says something about you, especially if, uh, you know, people are saying good things about you. And um, I mean, I'm glad he's getting a shot. We've seen a lot of coaches, too, who seem to be closer to retirement getting hired. And some of it, again, might be because of the pandemic. People are risk averse trying something new, uh, especially with less fans in the stands or none at, at all. So um, it'll be interesting. Um, I do think he brings something. Maybe he reaches that team better than Dantoni could have, though I don't necessarily think it was a Dantoni issue. I think. Maybe it was more of a roster construction issue for that team.
1: Absolutely, it could be the case where too you see, um, you see maybe his idea, his mindset, kind of click with maybe or I'm sorry Russell Westbrook and James Harden, and depending on if they're able to make any moves. I know a lot of people keep talking about them potentially making a move to get another center, which kind of seems you know them going backwards from that D'Antoni system. Since they had Clint Capella, Capella, who was an all-star caliber player at times, it's like they're going backwards, searching for what they already had and trying to reach back for it. But Brandon Jefferson has rejoined us. And, uh, Bob, if you want, maybe want to reiterate the question to our guests.
0: Sure, Brandon, thank you for uh, bearing with us on some of these technical difficulties. Um, what, what I was asking is that um, after you got that idea of trying to become a journalist, what were the steps you did in college to pursue that dream? No problem, So I declared a major right away. I went right into journalism, head-on,
2: communications, all that fun stuff. And then I actually didn't take too much advantage of that. So I didn't join the um, radio station or I wasn't writing for the school newspaper. But I did actually get a chance to work on the um, games. So I was working with the sports department. Basically, I would do, like, volleyball games, basketball, soccer games. I got to do, like, the um, setups for, like, the – in-game entertainment I was taking kids out for like the you know timeout shooting and stuff like that which is real fun it's just a different way to kind of interact in the sports world but what started really my path was Bleacher Report basically kind of started up my sophomore year of college and from then on I kind of went into Bleacher Report as an editorial intern and just kept posting away posting away posting away and from there, I basically looked for other places where I can, you know, just write and get my stuff out. And I just kept plugging away that way.
0: Uh, I was telling uh, Theus and our listeners that I think you and I were on the same um, internship back in the, the the fall of 2010. That sounds about right. That's, I think that's when I started the internship. So, yeah, we definitely probably have <laughs> been crossing paths for the past decade. <laughs> Um Last I guess ones. when you when you graduated college, um what, what were some of the other sites that you were writing for? So by the end of college, um I did some stuff with Complex. They had a basketball site called the Triangle
2: Offense. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that. It was pretty short-lived. I think it was about two years that was running. Um I did fan sided, which has been great. I'm still with them now. I did an internship with Dime Magazine, which is great. I didn't get to go into the city for stuff like that, but still was a remote thing, and still was a ball to just be involved with them. Um, What else have I done? I did B ball breakdown. I did um, uh, the name's not coming to me now. I'll think of it later. But basically, I was branching out everywhere I could and just you know trying to find a footing, find my way in. I even started a couple of like personal blogs myself, but I just never. You know, remain dedicated enough to see them through. But I was writing just about anywhere that would give me a
0: byline. Mm. Uh, Brandon, uh, what what's your philosophy when you write a story? Like, what what are what's what are you trying to tell the reader? Or like, I guess if you're in a podcast, what are you trying to tell the listener? Like, what do you do to try to hook them, or uh, just creatively give the information? I heard this the other day. I was. Listening-
2: I was on Twitter scrolling through and Nakai Duncan has been great on Twitter um, props to him, but he was on a podcast and he kind of talked about how he saw that, you know, the game was becoming the less of a talking point. It was more about you know rumors or narratives or storylines and stuff like that. And obviously with any good story, you want to have a narrative or something that pushes it through to keep the reader hooked, like you mentioned, but I just want to break down the game. If I could talk, you know, hoop two people for the rest of my life, it would be the perfect job for me. So when I'm coming into an article or I'm coming into a podcast, I'm trying to figure out what part of the game or what is the action that I really want, you know, my reader to see and understand more by the end of this article.
1: And listen, we thank you again. Remember, you're listening to Bajek and Brown Hoops Up and Down podcast, episode number 21. We're joined by our special guest, Brandon Jefferson. And Brandon, I, you're speaking of that Twitter article that you saw. I think I may have ran across the same thing. Uh, Bob I was telling uh, us and our listeners that was that the, when they mentioned the inside the NBA. Yeah, had kind of done the. Yeah, so I saw that and I thought that was interesting. How it there was four points that he talked about how the uh, the after show had turned into uh, kind of just either a top ten list or you know like a comparison uh, somebody versus somebody else. Or just uh, kind of hot takes, you know. Yep, and no, disc- it wasn't really anything about the game.
2: No, no discredit to them because I love watching inside the NBA myself. Like I'll always tune in. You know, Chuck and Shaq going back and forth is great. Kenny's running to the- <laughs> Kenny running to the board. That uh, long going joke is great. Um, Ernie is just great. Absolutely. So it's four great people, and it's great entertainment. And you know, obviously on TV, that's what you want. You want to entertain first and foremost. But in terms of like growing the game, or if the average person just was to tune in, they might not get the same takeaways that you might get um, if you're talking hoop or something like Stan Van Gundy. When Stan Van Gundy got hired, I was elated. He was awesome on TNT. He did a great job of breaking the game down. It was still kind of entertaining enough where he didn't sound like he was talking, you know, calculus at you. But it was just great information in a great way, and I wish there was more of that readily available.
1: Uh, Bob and Brandon, somebody I've, I've always uh, loved and I'd recommend to our listeners of Bajak and Brown, growing up, always listened to Hubie Brown call games. I thought that Hubie Brown, you know, he's one of the older guys, almost I think 85 or 90, but he just had so many great stories from him. You know, like Brandon was saying, giving that insight and breaking down the game to where it's not boring, but it actually it makes you almost feel like you're a coach and he can give you so much in-depth analysis about every player, what strategies – uh, co- each coach maybe using in this scenario of the game uh, with the coach. Exactly. And
2: obviously that's not for everyone, you know, and everyone's about a basketball nerd like myself, but I just wish it was more out there. Like, you know, you see the NFL sometimes. They'll have, you know, their fun studio shows, but you also still get the X and O whenever you want them. Like there's Mina Kimes on Twitter. She's now on NFL Live too. They all have NFL Sunday matchups. It just was these avenues where you can go and find the X and O breakdown that you really wanted if you were, you know, that into football.
1: Absolutely. And, Bob, you were speaking before uh, off-air, uh, Brandon or Bob, we were speaking kind of about the the love of the Phoenix Suns, right, Bob? We were kind of talking about the seven seconds or less offense. I, I
0: was, and I remember uh, – b-ball writers Brandon you did a fantastic piece and you got a pod episode of that about the seven seconds or less Phoenix Suns were I think you know they're a precursor of this running gun motion offense kind of what the Warriors perfected but you know they were the trailblazers here so can you t- maybe break down that team and tell us why why you love them and what maybe still pulls you to them um you know until this of day course. Uh,
2: big shout out to all the TVW people out there um, that was a great site, great group of people. Loved it while it was going. It was unfortunate it had to go the way it did. But as you were talking about that article basically came about because of the pandemic, there was no sports on. So we were trying to figure out what do we write about, how do we keep content going. And we basically hit a point where it was like, all right, just talk about, you know, past basketball teams that you love. And the seven seconds or less funds have always stood out to me because where we see the game is at now where it's spread out, high attack, high motion, you know, ball movement, people movement. Pretty much started at the NBA level with those Suns teams with Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nash, and the great thing about them was they were a, literally a team. Like we saw it later on with the Spurs, and that 2014 year was amazing. But those sons teams, like if you had just taken Steve Nash and put him on any team, you probably don't get the same result. If you take Amari Stoudemire and put him on any team, you probably don't get the same result. Sean Marion, you put him on the same te- on any team, you don't get the same result. But you put those three together and you get something that transforms, trailblazes the league. Yet Steve Nash holding on to the ball, withering through picks, trying to figure out, you know, who's the most open or who's the most effective person on the court right now and how can I get up the ball. And it was just a type of basketball, a type of like, almost like getting your masters in basketball, just watching them play because they did everything the right way. It wasn't just, you know, okay, Amari, it's your time to score or okay, Sean Marion. It's your turn to score. No, it was a continuous offense where one thing triggered another thing, that triggered a third thing, and by the time the defense could catch up, we were getting a three shot in your face, Amari was rolling to the rim, or Steve Nash was pulling up. So it was just basketball at a level I had not even thought about by that time, and just to see it work so well for them. Unfortunately, they didn't win any championships. Um, shout out to Robert Ori, Hipcheck, and Steve Nash. But it was just just watching them play was just something that really, really excited me.
0: And the thing I really liked about that article and uh, you kind of talking about it on the podcast, Brandon, was that people, a lot of times judge teams just, you know, based on rings, you know, we do that on LeBron, Warriors, Bulls, whoever, Lakers. And there are great teams that don't win. I mean, you have 30 teams in a league only one could win but there could be other teams that play great basketball like you know I love the Warriors kind of like Janelle does and they came up short last year but you couldn't tell me that that year was a waste for them I I know they wanted to win but they came through so much adversity in the playoffs with injuries where they could have quit and they still fought on and I mean like the Phoenix Suns they just came up against great teams and like you mentioned, I just thought it was disappointing the owner just nickels and dimes like what you see with other great teams in any sport where that could be a big detriment instead of um, the players. You know, like if they're not going to try to invest in the team, you get what you pay exactly. for. Exactly.
2: And this is something I'm kind of looking forward to like 10, 15 years now. Who knows what happens upcoming years? But this Miami Heat team, they were such a surprise, and such a shock to everyone but let's say they never get back to the finals again or, you know, they're a perennial contender, but they never get over the hump. A la these sons. Are people going to look back at this year and see the names, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Tyler hero, Duncan Robinson. And if they don't hit that upper echelon, of superstar, are people are going to be like, how the heck did this team get into the finals or what happened in the NBA that year? how did that happen? And they're not going to be able to understand and realize what we saw when the heat basically took over the bubble just by playing this brain of basketball that was very reminiscent of those suns. The ball moved, the people moved, everyone got involved. They were all greater than some the of their parts. So like you were saying, it it really stinks to watch these teams in person and then watch the time go by and then really just lose respect because we live in a championship robust culture.
1: Bob I was going to ask one question about that those seven seconds or less sons because you see, I know a lot of people compare it to like the Lakers Showtime in the 80s and the Golden State, um, you know, the Golden State era in in the 2000s. But one thing that sticks out to me and maybe other fans kind of playing advocate is that the Lakers Showtime had one of the best defenses in the NBA. Uh, The Golden State Warriors, during their run, you know, everybody gets caught up with, you know, the three-pointers and the offense, but they had one of the best defenses. Why do you think, Brandon, that Mike D'Antoni has always struggled with that piece in his team's when he's went around the league and they can never even get that part right to a comp, a complement that offensive strategy.
2: My opinion is that Mike D'Antoni's reason is the best defense is a great offense. So in a sport where a score is kept, the winner is always going to have more points. So if you can develop something where you feel like you have the edge, you can score regardless of who you're against, what they throw at you, yada, yada, yada. If you feel like your offense can overcome that, I feel like defense will naturally take a back seat. So it wasn't that, you know, the Suns team were bad defensively. You know, Sean Marion's probably gonna go down as one of the greater defensive players in his time. They had Roger Bell for some time. Um, Joe Johnson was pretty good two-way guy in his prime. Amari was athletic enough, even if he wasn't a great team defender, but he could protect the rim when need be. So they had the pieces. It was just they are such an offensive focus, the offensive push from D'Antoni and from the style that they were playing that they felt like, you know, if they were just average defensively, their offense was so much better that it could account for that difference.
1: Yeah, I know. I've always kind of teased Bob about that. And our listeners know, but it's just like if you want to be if, I mean, does he want to win or does he want to just go down to history as having a, a fun offense because if. If you studied history and seen that the, the teams that have won have to have not an average, but a lockdown defense, why would he not some, at some point change his philosophy? I, I just don't understand.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a great what if, you know, for all time. But I think they felt that they were so close to doing it that way that they didn't feel like they really needed a big switch. Like I said before, if Robert Orry doesn't hip-check Steve Nash or – if Joe Johnson doesn't get his face broken that first year, they could at least have a finals trip. And a finals trip would look
1: a lot different than never getting there. So, who knows? Yeah, but I mean, but he's, he's been coaching. I mean, he's been coaching the league for the last 20 years, and it's never worked anyway. I mean, they had – remember they were up on, Houston, uh, up on Golden State in 17. They were up 3-2 to two in blue the last two games. Even without Chris Paul, they were up, you know, against the Clippers many times as well, and it just didn't – didn't seem to work but that, anyway that's fine but sorry <laughs> but like, I got in my, my Tony thing
2: <laughs> no just to point out your point at the end that's definitely a Tony thing more so than a Suns uh, thing um, we saw Daryl Morey actually even go to Philly and not to take over the conversation but a lot of talk initially was like oh my god how's Ben Simmons going to fit he doesn't shoot threes or Joel Embiid is a, you know back to the basket big man that's never going to work with Morey But Maury's whole M.O. as a GM is to fill out a roster that best supports his star player. So his first thing is go get a star. Second thing is hopefully get a second star. Then the third thing is fill out the roster around those two stars to best utilize them. And so in Houston with James, not that James is, you know, the worst defender ever, but he was such a singular offensive talent that, you know, the other pieces were relied on to do the other things like shoot and defend and stuff like that. And so it just got to a point where Dan saw you know what he was given and he basically built the offense through that. And again, this is a Dan conversation because I feel for his team's, defense always takes that back seat to the offense.
1: Hey I man, folks you're listening to Bay Jack and Brown Hoops up and down podcast. episode number twenty one, we're gratefully joined by Brandon Jefferson. Uh, Bob, I don't know if you want to lead into um, into the question. We had the uh, Facebook question or the social media question of the week about we we try to make it towards Brandon and the Phoenix teams about the best dunker in Phoenix history.
0: Yeah, let, let's go for that question, Theus. I, I don't have it up oh, yeah. though. Do you, do you have that up? Yeah, Brandon. We just
1: kind of when we knew you were coming on today, and we we had a uh, poll question just asking viewers. Who was the best dunker in Phoenix history? Was it Larry Nance? Kind of going for the nostalgia points there back in the... He was the original dunk contest winner in the NBA in 1984. Uh, it was Larry Nance. Um, Kevin Johnson. I don't know if you followed okay, in the mid-'90s, uh, maybe the original little man that used to dunk on the big guys. Uh, we also had Sean Mayer in the Matrix and Amari Stoudemire. Uh, Brandon, who do you think was the best dunker of those four? Ooh, of those four... And I guess we can give Tom Chambers honorable mention, right? Tom Chambers has some good ducks.
2: I gotta give it to KJ. Uh, it's a little bit of a little man bias, but him going up on a Akeem will forever live on in my head in a loop. That's that's just a great, great dunk. Um, someone another thing oh, yeah. I would throw into the ring is um Connie Hawkins. Can't sleep on Connie Hawkins. He's, oh yeah, he dates back a little further, but there's another bias there. Uh, my brother. Actually,
1: played in high school with his great nephew, I believe. So it was wow. Kind of, it's kind of awesome. He was like for our listeners. He was like Dr. J before. He was like ten years before Dr. J. But Connie Hawkins definitely ruled the skies at the Rucker in New York, and I think he got famous. um I remember Brandon. I've even heard that story about uh, him and Earl Manigault. But mm-hmm. Connie Hawkins dunked on Will Chamberlain as a, as a sixteen year old. Yeah, no, Connie was... So he, Connie he got was famous from, I, I can't imagine, like, a 16-year-old dunking on Shaq right now.
2: <laughs> that would be wild. But, yeah, um, the great nephew was one of the best shooters I've ever seen. He wasn't much of a leaper, but he had the wrist flick and barely jumped, and he could shoot it from, like, you know, Curry, Dame range back when that wasn't even a thought in people's head, but he was pulling up from, like, those volleyball lines on high school courts.
1: Wow. And w- were they in New York, uh, Brandon? Where, is he playing in New York or was that in Ohio? In Jersey. In Jersey, yeah. We got a lot of Jersey love coming on in here, Bob. We got a lot of Jersey people.
0: <laughs> hey, I I I love picking them to get on the show. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bob, to interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh, no, um, I, I just wanted to ask. Uh, you did another piece that stuck out to me, and I kind of teased it earlier in the show about White Chocolate, it was such a really good article. Can you, can you tell the listeners just about what you love about his game and why you wanted to share that with, Man, with your audience? How much time do you
2: guys have? Because I could go endless hours on my love for uh, White Chocolate. <laughs> but um, it's just, that was that whole and one mixtape era. A lot of flashes going on. People were coming back out in droves to street ball and stuff like that where you're trying to make a name for yourself. And it literally was just his flash, his flare. everything he did had, you know, magic, fairy dust on it. I can watch, you know, his highlights of him passing, dribbling on end. It was just, there was such a confidence to his game that it literally just shone. Like, I don't know if you guys ever had this feeling, but there was like an aura every time I watched White Chocolate, just like an orangish glow that just sprouted out from behind him, just because he was that sure of himself. And, you know, obviously we all grow up. We all want to see the stuff and emulate. We do it on TV. But once I saw him making those, you know, wraparound passes from the three-point line to Chris Webber underneath or skipping up on Gary Payton as a rookie and then hesitating and crossing him and finishing, you know, look back. Like those are just the things that you don't imagine seeing at an NBA level. You know, this is stuff you do with your friends when you want to fool around or you're messing with a friend and cross them over. But he was doing all that stuff that you saw in the park or that you do with your friends, brothers growing up. And he was doing that to NBA-level athletes, and it was just amazing to watch time after time. Um, I still try to do the elbow pass anytime I'm on the court. I haven't gotten it down just yet, but I'm going to keep practicing. But just like I want to say the confidence that was the big thing he was so confident in himself and his abilities and if you listen to him talk about it now he's like I was able to do all those stuff that looks like tricks that look like I'm uh you know messing around because he would be in the gym literally practicing those exact moves so hours on hours were spent on those moves before you saw them even happen on the stage I think that's a great you know takeaway point because it's not These guys are just so much better naturally. It's no, they put in the time and worked at their craft to reach this level.
0: And it kind of shows you how basketball as a team sport could be really fun. Like his passing kind of reminded me of Magic Johnson or Pistol Pete barovich If if you watch the film, just where it's kind of more like playground, or he's just like, well, I want to do this and get get the crowd going and. Uh, you know, I think LeBron has some of that to his game as well, or some of the better passers in the NBA, but just, just bringing that street element to the NBA really is just is. so The guy much that's fun. like
2: that now is Jokic. Um, I watch him in amazement still. My draws is on the floor half the time. His touch, his little hook passes, he perfectly hits cutters and stride and there's shooting pockets, all that stuff. So just watching a great pass. And as me, I grew up, I was a point guard basically my whole life. So That's also part of the reason. For my white chocolate love but i always as a player just love making a good pass much more than i love making you know the open shot or a difficult shot because i just felt like like you said it made it more fun for everyone everyone got involved and just the whole game became better because once you make a great pass now someone else wants to make a great pass and it just gets contagious and flows through everyone
1: who would your second favorite guy be think back then uh Brandon, we had another question earlier this year. We, we asked viewers uh, who was more exciting between Steve Francis or Baron Davis, but was there, was there any other point guard in that era that you were really influenced by? I know you mentioned Steve Nash, but was anybody else besides Nash and like Chocolate?
2: I got to give a shout-out to J. Kidd as a Jersey guy. Um, can't, can't go too far without him. But um, honestly, my favorite player of that whole era was Tracy McGrady. Uh, I love, 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 love me some T-Mac. My brother was a Kobe fan, RIP. So we still go back and forth. I tell him all the time that T-Mac in 2002, 2003 was way better than Kobe ever been in his career. And that's probably a lie, but I believe it wholeheartedly. Um, It's it's just so smooth. That pull-up hesitation jumper just looks so effortless. Everything looked like he was playing, you know, at a different speed or a different pace than everyone else. And then he was also just so athletic on top of all that, that he made the extraordinary look ordinary. And he was just someone I was drawn to very early on in his career.
1: If you could tell our listeners too, Brandon, I think that that's He's the so year that he did. He lead the league in scoring the two years in a row. Was it Oh two Oh three then no three Oh four. Yeah. So when he had the 62 points. Yes. Yeah. Yep, it was those back
2: to back years. And, that first year, 0203, was the one they still had the um, stars on the background of the jersey. I remember I had that authentic jersey. That was one of the rare authentics that I actually got. So, it was just a whole thing about him. But, yeah, 0203, I think, was his first or second year in Orlando. And he literally just lit the league on fire. Um, he had the ball. He operated as their de facto point guard. He basically had the green light to do whatever he wanted and he did whatever he wanted now. in the postseason, that didn't always work out for them. I mean, usually, you know, took the first round bow out, but it still was entertaining to watch.
0: Do you think that Tracy McGrady's game might translate better to today's game than when he played? Cause he, he he's, to me, his game seems more like a modern wing. I
2: think he would have,
0: wouldn't have caught as much slack
2: so when he was doing this stuff he was one of the first you know big wings to kind of play this way to have the ball a lot and run the offense or have everything run through him. and nowadays we see guys like kd we see brandon ingram um we see Giannis, all these taller players who are you know basically initiating the offense for their team so i do think it's a bit more common now but i think for his time he had set in motion these players that we see today kind of gravitating from being you know I'm 6'10 I have to play on the block to being no I'm 6'10 I'm still going to dribble like a guard and pull up for jumpers and all this other stuff that I can do because I have the skill set for so I think he was one of the pioneers for this you know big wing that we've seen probably the NBA of late
0: And I think, Brandon, this kind of dovetails because you're also a huge KD fan. I'm as well, but you might be bigger. That those two players, I think we said earlier in the show, have similarities. Like, do do you see that in KD's game kind of mirroring uh, Grady, maybe at a higher um, level?
2: That basically is what happened with my fandom. I was a T-Mac guy through and through. T-Mac's career started waning down. And here comes this (laughs) 6'11", foot skinny, rail-thin guy who's crossing people over and pulling up for threes. I remember watching basically all the games at Texas and I'm like, "Oh my god, this this is T-Mac reincarnated." Obviously, he's gone It
1: looks identical, right? The same thing.
2: Yep. Obviously, KD has gone on now to become, you know, a bigger and better star than T-Mac was in his days, but just kind of seeing that similarity is initially what drew me in and I was been hooked to Kevin Durant ever since.
0: Do you think that Kevin Durant and Tracy McGrady get a lot of flack or misunderstanding? Because it just seems like they're both fantastic players, but for one reason or another, fans just In a on... sense, I think T Max
2: I won't I don't want to use hate, but I'm gonna say hate comes from him not having the success in the postseason. Like I said before, there's was a lot of first round exits. Now if you actually look back at the matchups, there not too many times where his team were favored. So it's not like he was underperforming in the playoffs. He was just the, on the worst team. And then KD kind of skated that for a little bit. Um, he was basically brought into the NBA as kind of being the anti-LeBron. I mean, in 2010, he basically signed his extension by tweeting something out while LeBron held the whole decision. And from that point on, everyone was like, oh, KD's so humble. He's so soft spoken All he cares about is his ball and such and such. And while that all may have been true, this kid was still, you know, in his early twenties, he wasn't a man. He had seen the world. He didn't know, you know, who he wanted to be. And now we've kind of seen him go into that transition of figuring out who he is, what he wants to be. And some people can't take it. Some people don't like the decision he made to play for the Warriors. Some people don't like how much he tweets or that he tweets from burner accounts or that he interacts with basically no name people on Twitter, but that's who he is. Like, You know, as it says on his Twitter bio, he's going to do him and chill. And he's done that, and he's won two titles doing that, almost won a third, and now he's going to hopefully keep the Brooklyn Nets as a contender
1: in the East. Brandon, who's going to be the leader of that team? I'm I'm sorry,
0: about. Oh, no, I I was just about to say he's also cashing them checks, you know. But Brandon, who do
1: you think is going to be the leader of that team between – Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, we've seen a fortune, you know, being that the, sometimes the advocate again on the other side, people saying that sometimes those guys are not, I don't want to use the word sensitive, but may not be always the most mentally focused. As you mentioned, Katie being distracted by random people on Twitter or sometimes Kyrie Irving's uh, untimely outbursts about different subjects, whether he sometimes may have valid points or not. How do you think that those, those two dominant personalities will affect a Brooklyn Nets roster, but you being kind of a, you know, you being a Jersey guy and probably watched the Nets growing up, obviously with kid and different things of that nature, but they had a strong core with Jared Allen, with DeAndre Jordan, with Karis Levert, who I think should be, I think Bob agrees is a, could be a third star. They don't need to go trade in the player, but how do you think their uh, personalities will impact this gritty, grindy team?
2: I think they'll fit in well um, with Kyrie specifically. Most things are going right if, you know, they're winning, if he's getting what he wants out of the game, or if he's, you know, focused and committed to it. He's going to be a great role model, great player. You hear the young Celtics guys now still talk about how he reaches out to them and still kind of gives them counseling and stuff. And obviously he had the tragic situation with the loss of a family member in that final season in Boston kind of spring or spiral him out a little bit. And then with KD, everywhere he's been, he's gotten the same thing. He's a great teammate, great guy. Um, Oklahoma City was pretty much his team until he decided to leave. And then you get give-
1: – Well, someone said he was a cupcake. <laughs> I don't know. I heard someone say cupcake, but I'll leave that alone.
2: And then you get him going out to the Bay Area, and now it's not his team so much, and he's kind of the secondary guy. But the media is still trying to get stuff out of him. And, you know, at points, he didn't really want to talk to them and stuff like that. So – We'll see. Um, New York media is very crazy and different. I don't know if Brooklyn will get that same attention as if he were on the Knicks. So that'll be kind of interesting to follow and see how, you know, how much they get since they are the Brooklyn Nets and not the New York Knicks and not the marquee name in the city. But I think for the Nets as a team, I think Sean Marks has done a great job, like you said before, with the Karis LeVert. Now you brought in Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, Joe Harris was a the guy they kind of made new, made a new under their program. So I know Sean Marks has the philosophy and what he wants the team to run like under control. I think now bringing in Steve, Steve and Sean go way back, so they're going to be in sync. And then I just really think that KD and Kyrie are two types of people who just want to play hoops. And as long as they're playing hoop and they're hooping in a way that they think will bring them championships or bring them the success that they're after, I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal as people might think when you see them as two material superstars.
1: Well, those are great points, Brandon. Thank you. Uh,
0: Brandon, you know, one thing that I noticed in your writing, it seems like you're very well-versed with um, international competition, international leagues, uh, the guys from Europe and other areas in the NBA. Well, I guess what started that interest and love for you? And, um, you know, can, can you share just how you think they've impacted of course, so, the game and Again, this all comes back
2: to the fact that I cannot get enough of basketball. So when the NBA season used to end, um, back when I was growing up, you know, I'd be playing more, be outside and stuff. But as time went by and the time I spent on the court lessened, I actually sought out, you know, different leagues, different things. If any basketball was in the description of something on TV, I would tune in and watch it. And over time, I got to see like um, the ACB League. You know, you got the FIBA tournaments and stuff like that now on YouTube and readily available. So just having that international basketball access was great for me because I'll watch anything if it has the word basketball in it. So like the junior NBA championships were on, I think like last year, and I stopped and watched that because it's basketball. I just love watching basketball. And so just the um, impact of the international people coming over more and more to the NBA game, I think you kind of see it's not less one-on-one focus, but there's more talent and there's more kind of acceptance of you don't have to be a certain size, weight, or stature to play a certain position. If your skill set aligns with that position, that's where they're going to put you. And that's kind of something that European basketball and stuff like that has kind of emphasized where they teach every player how to play one through five. It's not separated like, oh, you're short, you'll work on the guard things, or oh, you're big, you should stay close to the basket. No, you're here to play basketball. We're going to teach you how to dribble, pass, and shoot. And if you grow to be 6'10", you're going to be 6'10", and you can dribble, pass, shoot. Or if you stay at 5'9", you're be 5'9", and you can dribble past shoot. So just that skill kind of influence on the game and knowing that you don't have to be, you know, locked into a certain position just because of how tall or small you are, I think has been a great help to the NBA as a whole.
0: Oh, I agree with you, Brandon. I mean, just having that flexibility helps. Like, I know – in, in baseball, they had the utility guy or super utility where he can play all over the field, and you see the flexibility. If guys can be in different positions, you can plug holes or have optimal lineups. So I do think, uh, you know, Golden State's done a great job with that. We see the Lakers this year do some of that. Um, it, it has expanded the game where you're not just like, oh, you're going to be f- fit here because this is how we've always done it. it, it there's just sure. that and natural One of my evolution.
2: long-running um, jokes I make with my friends, and I probably should start making them on Twitter, before it actually happens is the Nuggets are going to be a team that rolls out a bunch of seven footers. They're going to have like Michael Porter jr. Playing point guard, Bobo I like the two. Uh-huh.
0: five,
2: And it's just going to be crazy. Literally. Like if they get Alexi polkasevi who's a prospect in this upcoming draft, I think they might just roll out, you know, the five, seven footers lineup and make it work like for real in the next two to three years.
0: Uh, we were going to have Danny O'Brien from uh, Basketball Writers on early next week, but you know, for draft coverage. But since you follow the international game, do you know some of these guys internationally who are yes, um, you know, spoken to maybe be a lottery pick in the, the draft?
2: Names, um, seen glimpses of them, like I was saying, the FIBA U18, U20s of the past four years and things like that. I'll peek in and watch games like that. They're also on YouTube. If any listener is interested in watching. So um, one name that I've kind of guided to, he's definitely not going in the lottery, probably won't even go in the first round, but is Abdul Abdullai Endoy from France, and he's in that same kind of mold where he's a 6'7", six, 6'6", six, six point guard, and he's kind of very long, he has a pretty decent shot, but he's a name that I really like and I'm really interested to see where he goes once the draft rolls around.
1: Speaking of that, uh, Brandon, with the, I know that we had a, a news report yesterday came out that Golden State was impressed by with the point guard uh, from Argentina. I know I'm going to hope I don't butcher his name. Is it Edvid? Have you had any uh, thoughts about the Argentinian point guard? So
2: are you talking about Denny Avdia?
1: Yes, Denny oh, Avdia, I'm fine. sorry.
2: from Israel, yeah, I'm sorry. Israeli. Um, I love Denny. Um, I'm also someone who is very, very high on Luka Doncic. I like to remind people that every chance I get <laughs> because it's probably the most right I'll ever be. But um, <laughs> I think this is another TBW editor I wrote kind of profiling Denny and seeing if he could fit that Luca mold. And he's not Luca. There probably will never be another Luca. But he's also a 6'9 first, 6'9 kind of guard forward type who's very capable of mixing up in the interior, but also is capable of handling his own on the perimeter. His jump shot has gotten a lot better over time. It'll be interesting to see whether that's a flash in the pan or if that becomes more consistent. But if he's a good outside shooter, he has, you know, the fortitude and the willingness to kind of mix it up down low. He was a great rim protector for Maccabi Tel Aviv and the Israeli national team when he played with them. So if his outside shot is real, he could end up being one of the better players to come out of this draft but
0: Um, I know Lamelo Ball is getting a lot of love, and he's somebody that I think could be a great player. Um, he played overseas this year. Did, I did you catch watch any of, of his games? games and what um, are your thoughts NBL about his does game? Does a great
2: job of putting them. They're usually on Facebook, and at times they're on YouTube as well. So they're still out there. Of course, if you want to track them down and watch uh, Lamelo, I like his game. I like even more that he grew to six foot eight. Um, I remember watching him run around when Lonzo of high school. Taper around. I'm like, this kid is tiny. But he shot up, and now his passing is already, like, elite NBA-level passing. He sees the floor well. He can maneuver the defense to get the guy open that he wants open. His shot is inconsistent, but he also had a very bad shot selection. He likes to take the long, deep threes, off pull-ups. He likes to kind of force shots at times, too. He has, you know – the funky ball form but recent video has kind of shown that he's made some tweaks to that it looks a little better i think he's going to be a very good player i think with him his situation is going to matter most um i think the timberwolves are going to go more for best talent available than fit so he might end up there but if he's in golden state or chicago or even if new york jumps up to get him and he kind of has a role already set for him, I think that's going to help him a lot.
1: Oh, go ahead, Bob.
0: Oh, Brandon, can you let us know where um, sure. our listeners media, could uh, check you, you out on Jackson social media?
2: Hoops. Uh, it's a one with the photo of Kevin Durant standing outside of the Brooklyn skyline. Um, I retweet a lot more than i tweet so if you come to my page you'll probably find me retweeting other things like videos drills um play, stuff like that more so than you'll see my actual opinion but hopefully in the near future i'll have some more things out and about on the landscape that i would love to talk about um, anything hoop anything sports like that you can come right there
1: And Brandon, it looks like we uh, momentarily may have lost Bob for a moment, but can you tell us, Brandon, uh, in that area, uh, in Brooklyn, are there any other, I know we, historically New York and Brooklyn, Jersey, known for great hoops. Uh, one of my favorite players growing up, Brandon, was out of Camden, New Jersey. Dewan Wagner uh, was one of my favorites growing up, and also another Jersey guy, Jay Williams from Duke. I'm a Duke fan. Can you tell our listeners, were there any other homegrown products in your area that you kind of looked up to or thought were from? that area?
2: Oh, man, there's, there's a list way too long to tell. Um, shout out to Dewan Wagner. That, that's a great callback. Um, the, that was, what, 2000, I want to say. And I remember all the hype around him, especially when he scored 100 points in the game. That was, that was ridiculous.
0: That's but cool. um,
2: as far as my upbringing, my growing up, uh, the school I went to was actually in the parochials and states. And so that led us to play teams like St. Ant, St. Benedict, St. Pat. So just me naturally growing up and playing high school basketball in New Jersey, I got to see a lot of these D1 athletes. I got to go against Corey Fisher. I got to play against Dexter Strickland, um, James Robinson, Kyle Anderson, um, Dominic Cheek. There's so many names that I could probably (laughs) fill a whole podcast just naming names of people I played against. But that's the part I love about being from Jersey. You have that Jersey, New York, that tri-state area thing where if you want to go up against the best of the best, they're pretty much right in your backyard. So you find out very quickly where you stand amongst other great players.
0: Uh, Brandon, I don't know if I asked this question, but are there any journalists that you look up to? Um, you know, they could be basketball, but they could be other sports or news or long form like is there anybody that you kind of look up to that you've maybe taken some uh, some ideas with questions or writing style
2: for sure um zach low obviously gets the first shout out i think he's great at breaking down the game and kind of showing you rather than telling you what he's seeing and then he also adds in the clips to kind of double down on his stories and information i think that's huge and i always you know quickly run the ESPN anytime the Zach Lowe article is up. Um, Shay Serrano is someone I enjoy greatly. I have, you know, all the books and him on Twitter, his whole, you know, FOH army, I'll say, to keep it PG-13. Um, all that I love and just think he's been great as building a brand of himself and how he acts and not really changing for anyone. Um, Mike Prada, I think, is great. He's another person who does a lot of pictures and video work. Um, There's so many. Uh, I'm trying to think. Obviously, Wode, Shams, they're great. Um, The Athletic, I'm on the Athletic, like, every day. So, basically, anyone who's involved with the Athletic, I, I have great respect and admiration for. Um, Seth now, I think, is really good. John Hollinger is very good. They give you the analytics and the stats without, you know, turning it into a lecture or feel like they're, you're being talked down to. So I think they're great, as is the whole athletic NBA stats. So I'm I'm an avid reader. Um, I'm looking right now at uh, <laughs> basically shelf full of books from all types of backgrounds, from sports to, like, science fiction, um, motivational communication, stuff like that. So I love to read just as much as I love watching basketball. So I'm not trying to leave anyone out. Oh, Marin Fader from B's police report. I have to mention Maren. Marin is phenomenal. All her profiles are must read. So those probably be the three, three big ones I give for you would be Zach Lowe, Marin Fader and Mike Prada.
0: You know, you were talking about reading a lot. Do you read a lot of, um, sport biographies or maybe how a game, uh, you know, like the behind the scenes of the game.
2: I do love those books. i looking right now at a pistol Pete biography that I need to crack open ASAP.
0: You um, have to, you have to, we were, t- we were earlier, we had a bit going, but I was really reading that book. Um, the Pete Miravich thing is a great book. You would love it. Especially if you love white chocolate, you'd love this one even more.
2: You know, I had a, uh, Had to go to war for Epislopita about a couple months ago in my college friends group chat because they were not respecting the uh, legend. So I definitely have to crack that open and finish it. But um, I do love reading about sports, the background, stuff like that. And it's not even just basketball. Um, I have like a soccer book about the Dutch national team and how they rose the fame and kind of created that whole ticky tacky style that's now popular with Barcelona and teams like that. So anything like you were saying, that kind of gives me a more background information on what's going on in the game or just different teams or different athletes is something I definitely would love to read.
1: Yeah. For our listeners out there at Benjamin and Brown at the Pistol Pete biography is definitely uh, an incredible read and definitely one that you should have in your library at home.
0: Well, and I, I think that, uh, he might have. I might be wrong, but he might have played with Connie Hawkins or almost did. So because we were bringing him up earlier, but we we learned in that book. And Brandon, you would be shocked. I was. He almost played with Julius Irving. He they he was with um, the Hawks for about a few games. But um, I think it was the ABA and the NBA. They both drafted him, and then there was a fight. And I think they did it before the draft, so there was paperwork issues. So they kind of forced him out because they would have just nickel and dime the, the Hawks to death because every game he played, they were losing a lot of money. And since they were a new franchise, they couldn't really afford that.
2: Yeah, no, that, that story is definitely crazy. Like you said, he was drafted by both leagues. Um, going to UMass, he was a New York, New Jersey kind of hold. So back in the ABA, you kind of had first dibs on local prospects. That's kind of how they kept the talent spread around but uh, the Nets ended up taking him and the Hawks ended up taking him and basically it came down to a squabble back and forth and if I'm memory serves I think he ended up in Virginia first and then went to the Nets. So it was all types of crazy back then.
1: Yeah, unbelievable team there too. Uh, Bob and Brandon with Julius Irving and a young George Gervin were on the San Virginia Squires. That was a heck of a duo for a short time.
0: Uh, Brandon, you know, one thing that w- I was interested in, um, I know when we were working together at the Basketball Writers and we had the unfortunate things that happened in the, the summer with police brutality, you were getting more interested in social justice writing. Is that something that you're, you've you been pursuing or planning on pursuing?
2: It's something I definitely wish I had gotten the chance to do more of. Um, like you said, everything happening in the world at that time basically kind of, shut me down from a writing perspective. I was really hoping to find a new avenue to use my voice and use my writing to kind of shine some light on the injustices and the systemic racism that we deal with in this world today. But um, I haven't found an avenue for that yet. Um, I'm still open to it, still you know, have my thoughts and opinions that I would love to share. But there are great things out there to read, great books, great authors, great journalists. Um, so the information is out there. If you two are like me and searching for or searching for your own voice during these times to figure out how you feel and the best plan of attack to move forward as a socially conscious person.
0: Uh, with basketball, you know, you were talking about just the love of the game. And I know uh, the NBA, WNBA and other sport leagues, um, we're trying to get that message out. How, how do you think they did on messaging since – um, I know. Besides doing journalism, you you also do the communication side of, side of the business. Um, first and foremost,
2: all props to the WNBA. They've been great. Basically, anytime any type of social message needs to be spread, um, they put both feet in and go full blast. So they had the uh, name on the back of the jersey idea first that the NBA kind of co opted and spun in their way. Um, they had the whole Kelly Loeffler situation where the players were showing up basically wearing shirts that said vote for her opponent. Um, So if any league is getting it right in an activism type of way, it's definitely the WNBA because they have the full backing of their players and everyone is down to move with the calls. So I think the WNBA has gotten it more right than any other league in America.
0: It just seems like they were kind of the social conscious too, because you know those two leagues started it, and then baseball and even hockey. We know hockey is kind of behind the times, some you know, sometimes when it comes to these issues. So it just seems like it just spread. And um, I'm hoping that other people got the message.
2: Yeah, you hope so. Um, they are one of the few leagues that saw a ratings boost through all the coronavirus craziness. So Hopefully the right eyes were on it and the message got to the right people.
0: Definitely. Dias, do you have any other questions for our wonderful guest here? Uh, No, I just want to
1: thank uh, Brandon again for joining us and our listeners at Bayjack and Brown Hoops Up and Down Podcast on the anchor.fm. And Brandon, again, if we've had some newer um, folks, I know Bob mentioned to you earlier, but can you again tell our listeners where they can follow you at and get your content on Social media, or maybe of your own websites again. Of course, your password.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> on social media, I'm at Jefferson underscore hoops. Um, right now, I'm working with Home Court, which is a app that does um, basketball training, and you basically can use it in home, at a park, anywhere, just from using a tablet or a phone. I'm working on some interviews with them that's been posted on their blog. So if you go to homecourt.ai, you can find their blog there and find the stuff I've been writing about recently. Also, I write for Fan Uh, I'm excited to get back going with them. They've been my home for a couple of years now, so very excited about, you know, hitting the ground, running with them once again. And hopefully in the near future I will be smart enough to um, collect all my writings and put them in one place, but that has yet to happen.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Bob, any closing thoughts?
0: Uh, Brandon, I think you are a consummate professional. I'm so glad that you grace us with your presence here and dropping knowledge to BNB Nation. Uh, I wish you luck with your career and don't be a stranger. Feel free to come back anytime you want.
2: Uh, Bob, thank you very definitely much. Definitely appreciate you. Man. That, that is a great um, sign of approval and I definitely will be back whenever you guys need someone to talk to because like i said i love talking hoops so whether it's you know if
1: you're you're, you're a retweeter brandon make sure you retweet this uh this episode on your uh, amongst your um followers too on twitter oh of course this might be my pin tweet (laughs) (laughs) that's
0: awesome awesome. that's
2: that's
1: awesome that's
0: an honor i Oh, that's an honor. I, I follow you all the time, Brandon. So uh, if, if I got mentioned on your Twitter, that will just make my week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, we want to thank you again for joining us for the, the 21st episode of Bayjack and Brown Hoops Up A Down podcast. Again, we thank our special guest, the Jersey native, Brandon Jefferson, uh, sharing his love and passion, education, and wisdom for the game. And me and Bob look forward to seeing you soon on episode 22. Thank you so much, folks. Have a great evening. Take care.